It's time for the Will Nerds with Chuck and Todd. Hi, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. This is episode 104. I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. <coughs> hey, Todd. What? You know, I was kind of late today. Uh-huh. Uh, can you tow with your car? Mm, not much. It's kind of a little econo box. Could it, it, could it tow a bike? What kind of I bike? Had, I had to walk home. I had... <sighs> the Versus again. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Versus. Clearly. <laughs> what else could it be? <laughs> this joke would be better if I hadn't seen the Buell in your garage when I came in. <laughs> Glowering at you? <laughs> Mostly just sitting in the corner like, Hi! How's it going? The Buell sounds a lot like my dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey. It runs like your dog, too. Get up, get up, get up, get up. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm very excited. Get up, get up, get up, get up. <laughs> no, the bike's running fine. Good, the good. The is running good. excellently. You know what else is great? Having oil, brace yourself, stays inside the bike. Ooh. I, I don't understand this concept you, you talk about. I know. It's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So I finally bit the bullet. I went to the auto parts store. Uh-huh. I was coming up with all different ways because I didn't want to spend the 120, 150 bucks on a time cert kit. Like it's, it's obscene for putting a little piece of metal. Okay. Well, I get there and they have helicoil kits. Okay. And the helicoil is like 30 bucks for the kit. Yeah. And they're like, well, all we have is spark plug sizes. You know, the pimply faced youth who was actually very helpful. Mm-hmm. All we have is spark plug sizes, sir. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, my, my, it's a Japanese bike, so it's 14 millimeters by 1.25 pitch. And he goes, uh, that, that's the size we have. <laughs> <laughs> At least he didn't go, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he, he was, he was actually really helpful. He gave me, you know, the, they give you the tap with the thing. Yeah. The tap also is what you use to turn the little insert in very easily. And then they give you this little kind of like, it's a little post with a very slightly tapered, like, nub on the end. Okay. So you turn it up so it's just barely inside. One end of the little insert has little spikies around the outside. You know, all of a sudden, this sounds like a very sexual talk. I, yeah, well, it's got the little ex- spikies. Wait ex- for it. And then you take the you take the rod and you just, you, you just put the nub in and you bang on it a few times and that causes it to expand and the spikies stick into the sides and it stays there forever. I need an adult. <laughs> Now the good the good news is it actually it was fairly easy to get in um, and uh, you know that's what she said. That took longer than expected. <laughs> and you know what? I have not leaked any oil since I got it in. So go me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Drink it all in, listeners. Uh, yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> The, mor- the moral of the story is, is the kits, you know, just because it's a $30 kit doesn't mean it's inferior. It's yeah. actually quite a good little system. I mean, helicoil's been around a long time. Yeah, it's, no kidding. That's a proven thing. It's not a... And you get to use a hammer to install it, which in my mind just makes anything a better solution. <laughs> what you do now? Well, what you do is you go get the hammer when you're serious. No, Todd. Not the rubber-coated Husqvarna hammer. We mean the serious hammer. That's right. You need your wife, the geologist's mini sledge for this. <laughs> <laughs> mini sledge. When you are not fucking around anymore. See, I always call that the mini Thor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, too, because, you know, I mean, my wife swinging, my wife used to go to uh, 
class all the time when she was getting her geology degree with this hammer stuck to the side of her bag. Mm-hmm. She said any day she had this hammer with her, no homeless person would accost her on the train ever. <laughs> they just steer clear of her. Hey, you, oh, shit. Oh, God. Oh, the little chick's got a freaking giant hammer. <laughs> I like to slide it along the garage floor just to hear it go, <laughs> pretend I'm Thor fighting the Hulk. Uh-huh. I've said too much. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I'm pretty pleased with that helicoil kit. Cool. It's, uh, you know, I, I I can highly recommend it to anybody. The one piece of advice that I was given that is really good is when you're putting in the tap, every little bit, you turn the tap back just like an eighth, quarter yeah. of a turn, yeah. and a bunch of crap falls out, and then you keep turning mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just ejects the little... The little aluminum shreddings, which, by the way, get everywhere, stuck to everything, in everything, on everything, into the flesh of the bottom of your feet, <laughs> on and on and on. <laughs> it was in my sandwich. Beware, Not be, sure how. Beware of aluminum shavings. <laughs> Especially if the aluminum shavings coated in 10W40 are just the worst substance on the world. They stick <laughs> unbelievably. Every little crevice, it just... Uh, so the Strom no longer leaks oil. Strom no longer leaks oil. It feels weird. My Strom doesn't leak oil. My my sprinklers work now. I mowed the lawn. You don't have a Ural. I'm feeling a little domesticated. You don't have a Ural. No. Um. I did. I did find a great surprise this week, though. My daughter and my wife were out there with the sidewalk chalk. Yeah. I open up the garage, and the spot where the Strom parks has got markings on the side of it. And it's labeled "Daddy." <laughs> <laughs> I feel fancy now. Wow. I have reserved parking, Chuck. Don't mm. you? Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> the whole garage is mine. Uh, technically, the whole garage is mine in my house, too. Mostly in the I, sense I know, of, wait, wait, Todd, the, go clean up the garage. Was, go, go. There, there was a little hitch in your voice there. <laughs> a bit of hesitation. It's all mine, including all the parts I don't want, like the lawnmower. <laughs> Lawn what? And the 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 sprinklers. Oh, you mean the lawnmower? My old lawnmower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The sprinklers. The what? And the snowblower. Snow what? Yard tools huh? and uh, yeah. Uh, I've got some girly calendars in mine. Yeah. Posters mm-hmm. and, and uh, some beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Three motorcycles. Several shelves of shelves of tools. Things. Well. Mm-hmm. I've got a. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't swung a wrench in anger in weeks. <laughs> You're about, we're about to change that right now. <laughs> With classifieds! <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to hit me. No. I, actually, no. before we do classifieds, the Buell. Yeah. I got highway pegs for it. Cool. They're, uh, yeah, the guy on Badwood, Badweb was selling them. Still ones. making them? Oh, he's probably not. Oh, the guy in the England is still making them. I talked okay. to him because I'm going to England in July. Uh-huh. Um, so I talked to him and I was like, Hey, can I avoid all the shipping charges if I just come to your place and get them? And he was like, Yes, chip, 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 cheerio. <laughs> but then this guy in Badweb was like, Hey, I want to sell mine. And you were like, Yerk! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he still make he makes, the guy in England makes some other stuff for the bill, so I might mm-hmm. still end up swinging by. Yeah. To, to pick up some things. But, and if nothing uh, else, just to commiserate. You still own a Buell? Me too. <laughs> oh, God. Buell's running great. That's good. It's, I'm glad to hear it. I, I love everything about that bike. There has to be the honeymoon phase first before it really starts to just suck. 
That's true. It's got to lull me into a false uh-huh. sense of confidence. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. If we go this fall, like I said, my my offer stands. This fall, if we go down to southern Utah and your bike breaks down, I'm leaving your ass wherever it is. <laughs> don't care. Don't care. Don't care. <laughs> Middle of the desert? Don't fucking care. You're staying. This is your new home, Jeff. Bye. I don't buy it. <laughs> you felt bad last time. Yeah, you'll feel bad. You'll come back. Yeah, let's see. You might you might wait too long, and by then I've gone feral. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Jack? <laughs> Bone in my nose. <laughs> Bill spark plugs tied into my hair. <laughs> I fashioned a rudimentary spear out of the frame. <laughs> Look out! This, these hills are filled with the Buell natives. <laughs> I don't know. He was just screaming buh, 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 the whole time, and then he ran off. He wasn't wearing pants. Well, that's that's standard. <laughs> You'd just be like, "Yeah, it's that's Chuck." <laughs> Is your friend the guy on the Buell? Well, it's hard to say. There could be more than one Buell with no pants. Yeah, that's him. That's him. <laughs> Okay. Well, now that that's out of the way. <laughs> we should go to a really another really reliable, safe vehicle. <laughs> Hello! I have a go-kart dirt bike that is hella fast and fun. It is a 1990 DR250 welded to a go-kart. More accurately, it is the back half of a motorcycle welded to a piece of sheet metal. It's, <laughs> its top speed is terrifyingly about 80 what? And it's a five-speed and ridiculously fun to drive, runs and drives great. Could use a few adjustments, like removing the shopping cart wheels on the front. But that's about <laughs> it. Brand new oil and oil filter. Newer tires all around. Just clean the carb out. Only thing it needs is a piece to pull the clutch because it broke. Easy $8 fix. I also just installed a racing switch on it. Oh, what? Uh, is that the... It's the, a kill. It's a high-hidden kill switch. Uh, there's the clutch. It fits a six-foot person, no problem, in a tiny, unprotected metal cage with a dirt bike strapped to your ass. Uh, wow. wow. Um, Perfect cruiser or even drag racer. Can you imagine cruising down State Street in this thing? My favorite one is the six-foot guy in it, yeah. who's who is clearly just sort of sandwiched in between two pieces of sheet metal that are attached to the front of a bike. I wonder if, I guess someone could ride on the, the motorcycle seat, too. You know, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> But that's an interesting point. Shirtless, wearing a steel hockey mask, uh-huh. <laughs> carrying a spear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is terrifying. <laughs> it's like every time you think somebody can't do anything dumber by uh, welding extra wheels or strange things onto a motorcycle, our listeners find something even more frightening. Wow. And, and he and- doesn't list a price. I wonder what he'll take for it. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a rust bucket old Dr. 250 welded to the back Why of... would you do this? Well, because obviously he freaking wadded up the front end of his bike. Okay, but why would you do this? Because he had some metal and... Uh, In the welding class? Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think the part that scares me the most has to be the front wheels. Yeah, because they look like sort of like like they're like go kart tracked. Wheels. Are they go kart wheels or are they just like like trailer wheels from like Harbor Freight? Yeah, possibly both. <laughs> mm. I suppose there's a, there's a. I mean, yeah, the, I mean, little, little go kart racers. They they kind of look uh-huh. like that. 
Yeah, they don't have a great big honking DR in the back, which is, you know, the the, t- <laughs> the top of the engine, I'm just going to point out, the top end of that engine is roughly in line with your C5 vertebrae. Uh-huh. It doesn't seem <clears throat> good. There's a lot of things about this that doesn't seem good. You know, you're right. <laughs> just, wow. Yep. I like the humongous suicide shifter on the one side, too. (laughs) (laughs) He's got his giant suicide shifter with a single linkage rod that goes back to the bike's shifter. Yep. Which I'm sure works okay for some values of okay. Uh, wow. Uh Uh-huh. It's, uh, uh, is that steering a little wonky? Like he's maybe hit a few bumps with it? Possibly. Yeah. Scary. Where's the accelerator? Is there pedals? I'm assuming there's a pedal or something that he may. Oh my god! Do you think the ex- no? That's probably is the squeezing his hand the clutch or the accelerator? You'd think it'd be the clutch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something that looks like suspiciously like a pedal on the right side. So I'm assuming that that's operating the accelerator. So where's the brake? Uh, Chuck. <laughs> I just want to know. Chuck. It's got to run somehow. Come on. A I mean, break. <laughs> I mean, really, Chuck. Have you learned wait, nothing? Wait. So this thing has no front brake? No, no. Shit, no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you crazy? No, of course not. It's, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is... Uh, Everywhere he goes, it's just... All the time into every single Chevron. Hey, girls, you want to get, uh, What's uh up, you know, you know, actually, there's really nowhere for you to sit. Yeah, hop on back. <laughs> you want to look like you're riding a motorcycle that has run a guy over, kind of? This is the bike for you. Hop on back. <laughs> well, I give him crazy. The, the other part that really scares me, its top speed is about 80 with wheels the size of my fist. I don't feel good about that at all. Yeah, I don't feel good about it. Um, wow. Okay uh-huh. then. Yep. Crazy. Well, he's crazy enough to have this idea and think, yeah, that I gotta I should do. Build that. So clearly, he's gonna be like, yeah, how fast can it go? <laughs> I wonder how fast this thing can go. <laughs> Whoa! And then the clutch is broken. <laughs> oh, I broke the clutch. Sorry. <laughs> In fear. We <laughs> 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 only have one break, and it's the wrong one. <laughs> Stop! Oh, God. All right, then. Moving on. No, okay, so we need a way to carry this thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> After we buy it, we need a way to carry it back. Like a motorcycle trailer? Like a motorcycle trailer. But you know what? I don't want to spend a lot of money. Okay. I think we've got the one for you. Holy sh... Wow. Hey, Charlie found this for us. It's in Albuquerque. And as we know, all really good things are in Albuquerque for sale. Uh-huh. So this will hold two bikes. Yep. It looks... You know what it looks like to me? It looks like somebody who had a Harbor Freight trailer uh-huh. and saw a Kendon trailer, you know, yeah. a nice one like John's, uh-huh. and said, I want one, but I don't want to spend a lot of money. I can build that. I can build that. <laughs> At which point they took some wood that they happened to have around with shipping paint still on it and made a platform and bolted some shit to it. And here it is. The motorcycle trailer. 250. Yep. I like the fact that no two pieces of the trailer quite seem to line up with one another. No. It really sells it for me. They don't. 
a 4x5 motorcycle trailer, which suspiciously wow. enough. What the hell? Suspiciously <laughs> enough is the same size as a Harbor Freight. <laughs> <laughs> Much the same one as I was looking at. Wow, that is so crooked. Yep. Yep. Well, you, here you go. Harbor Freight trailer 250. Mm. We could just burn off the parts you don't want. <laughs> you know, the funny <laughs> thing is I'm pretty sure if you get it on a coupon day, you can get it for less than that. <laughs> Uh, coupon, Harbor Freight. <laughs> yeah, this is a terrible idea. I mean, I can understand, you know, not wanting to spend a lot of money on a motorcycle trailer. And fundamentally, a motorcycle trailer is not a sophisticated thing. You need some sort of a rail and something to hold the bike up. Uh-huh. That said, I don't think I would have my uh, wheel chocks for my expensive bikes mounted to a piece of plywood. <laughs> There's something about that that feels a little mm, off. Yeah, and that, that plywood looks taxed. It's, it's, seen, it's seen things. It's seen better things. Things it's not proud of. I mean, conceivably, the, s- the stress points of that plywood are all supported by the trailer, but. Conceivably, yes. Oh, yeah. I still... Which is, which is cold comfort as you're watching the wheel chalk still attached to the front wheel of your bike <laughs> bounce down the road. <laughs> oh my god! The trailer snapped! <laughs> this is a terrible! That's... Good thing Jake's in the go-kart bike. <laughs> Get down there with the go-kart! <laughs> Call up Phil with his water heater sidecar. I think, I think. We, we've got the makings of a low-budget Mad Max. We make. do. <laughs> you can go buy it all right now. You know what I like best about this, though, I think? Mm-hmm. Condition. Condition. Fair. It's being generous. <laughs> Condition fair. Dimensions 4x5. Slightly wobbly. 4x5, depending on where you measure it. <laughs> oh. Wow. Yep. Well, you know, Claire's been talking about buying a motorcycle trailer. <laughs> I'll just forward this right to him. Well, uh, yeah, we'll have Charlie pick that one up for him. <laughs> he'll be excited. I'm sure he'd be happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving on. Moving on, we have a guest this week. Yes. At last. All right, so we're on with David Mills. Uh, David's recently written a book about how he got the Dakar bug and went to many different doctors to see if they could cure the Dakar bug, but unfortunately they couldn't. Only the Dakar could cure the Dakar bug. How's it going, David? I'm good, and my Dakar bug is still biting me, I'm afraid. Oh, no. So, David, uh, what's, what's the title of your book again for our listeners? Uh, it's titled Zero to Sixty. A Dakar adventure, and the 0 to 60 has obvious connotations, but also I turned 60 years old as I embarked on this little adventure with my team, and uh, hence the name. The first and most interesting thing I found about what you're doing with the book here, I mean, there's the world is full of books of, I went somewhere and I did this and did that. Kind of the interesting thing about this is this is you joining the support team for a Dakar racer and talking about what it's like to live with the team and be part of that bigger group. That's that's exactly right. I mean, I I we as I was saying earlier, my wife and I bought a house in South America back in I guess 2005, and the Dakar came to South America in 2009 for the first time uh, after a bunch of terrorist threats uh, stopped the 2008 edition of the rally, and I had my motorcycle down in uh, in Ch- in Chile and I was uh, touring around and I bumped into the Dakar and I think like many North Americans I'd you know, heard about the Dakar rally, but didn't really know a lot about it and just was completely blown away by this thing, followed them for a couple of days, 
did the same thing the next year and uh, uh, just through pure serendipity met, uh, I mean, it's one of those things, a, a woman who's a friend of ours, her best friend was a, was a, worked in a company for a man whose son was a, a Dakar competitor in the motorcycle category and uh, met him and got introduced to the Honda Chile people and uh, the Temetergal team and uh, being great people as the Chileans are, I said, I'd really like to write a book about this, this craziness. And uh, they said, well, come on along and join us. So that was really how it all happened. And then so 2012, I spent about three weeks with the team and, and probably a few days before that getting ready. And uh, but spent three weeks with the, with the Tamargal team and uh, went along for the ride. It was a fantastic adventure. Okay, so back up there for a second. You're saying you're a camp follower. Yeah, you followed up the car for two years? No, 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 no. Oh, two days. Two days. Oh, okay. Two days for two days and then three days on two different years that they were in South America. Oh, yeah. okay. Did you just, first one sounded like it was a coincidence. Did you plan the second time? Yes, I did. You know, I, because I knew they, they'd been in, in South America again for a couple of years and, and, uh, you can get online and see the map. And so I, um, uh, found the route and went north into the Chilean desert, uh, up in the Atacama and followed them for, like, I guess it was three days the second time. Mm-hmm. Just came down as a spectator, you know, rolling along and going into the uh, spectator zones and watching the comp- competition and then hanging around outside the bivouacs trying to see what was going on inside. And, and, uh, and then the following year was able to uh, actually be inside the bivouacs and be part of the thing. All right, so like, so I, I guess we can expect in a couple of years you'll be racing to Dakar. <laughs> I'm a little old for that, my friends. No, that's <laughs> uh, that's a young man's game, and uh, very much. I mean, it's it's brutal. I mean, this past year they were. I mean, I'm gonna, I, I'd have to translate, but I mean, we're in centigrade up here as they are down in the, in South America, but they, it was up over 50 degrees for days on end with uh, just unrelenting heat and sun and, you know, uh, wearing those, you know, full protective suits and helmets and, and, uh, it, it's brutal. And, you know, they're running five, 600 kilometers out in the desert and over pretty rough terrain. It's, it's definitely a man's game. No question. So. People out there who are interested in the Dakar and don't necessarily have the, you know, super duper riding skills and, you know, not dying skills it takes to actually be doing the riding is, should this getting on a crew be something they pursue? I mean, is it, is this an easy thing to pursue or do you kind of have to know somebody? Oh, you definitely have to know somebody. I mean, I was, I was, I was a bump on a log. I mean, I really, you know, as I say, if I pick up a screwdriver, I immediately start to bleed. I mean, I'm not very, I mean, I can do small work and, but I'm not there as a mechanic or, I helped out with a few things, but this, these guys were very kind to let me come along as, as a, essentially a journalist and a writer. So, um, so you, yeah. you were the coffee guy. I was, I, I'm not even sure I was the coffee guy, but did, yeah. Did I you tried. play the bugle in the morning or at <laughs> night? Ooh, chicken enclosure guard. Ooh, they yeah. were, they were, they were up long before I was up trying to blow the bugle. They were out of there. They were out and uh, on the route at five o'clock every morning. So it was, uh, it was early, early, early up, early risers. You were the guy they sent ahead to like find quicksand or giant holes in the sand right that's exactly right and to find the girls for that evening you bet yeah that was me well they need they need somebody to you know shake the protein shakes Wait, wash the socks he's, he's, he was the race pimp Ooh, <laughs> wait 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 can we say race pimp? no no, no, no. We, we'll, we'll, we'll get sued if we say race pimp I'm, there's someone out there <laughs> he was he was the manual backup kickstand you know like, hey hey we're gonna hey can you just hold okay hold the bike <laughs> Just hold this for me, and I'm going to go to the bathroom. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> my sleeping bag is cold. Get in. 
<laughs> well, we were living in solitary tents, so, uh, you know, they were pretty tiny. It wasn't room for two. And it, the car is, what, 14 days? Yeah, it's 14 days of racing. Well, really, 13 days of racing. There's always a rest day in the middle, usually day seven, where they uh, collect themselves and families come to say hello. But, yeah, it's 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 14 days long that they're out there. It's about... Uh, you drive about, oh, 9,000 kilometers in total, and, and of racing, there's about just under 5,000 kilometers of actual racing, uh, off-road racing out in the, out in the, out in the, in the wilds. And I understand that, um, even for the support teams, the, the Dakar is not a cakewalk driving, riding from bivouac to bivouac. It's, it's nuts. As, as one veteran told me, he said, just get sleep whenever you can. And, and there were times where I was crashed in the back of the truck or, or lying on the ground if we were stopped for a while just trying to get some sleep. You're you're up at four in the morning and you're, you know, going, going, going till ten, eleven at night and then press repeat. It's it's uh and it's dirty, uh it's windy, uh you know, you're eating, but you're not eating much. I think I lost about ten pounds on the on the trip. It's uh, it's it's quite an it's quite it's quite brutal. It's really hard on people. That's right, listeners. For the Dakar diet, go to yeah. www. <laughs> Zero two sixty. <laughs> it's definitely the easiest way to lose weight. No kidding. So now, one one thing that I notice about the Dakar when I see videos of it and stuff like that, it kind of feels like it's it's a big car event that has some motorcycles that occasionally come through. Well, there, yeah, there are more. There are probably more motorcycles uh, in the event than there are automobiles, and then oh, okay. they also race these big, great, crazy trucks. And the, yeah, those uh, are the ones you always see. The look at this truck. I mean, they're, those they, they're they're mad. Those guys because they tip over. They're, I mean, they're the most unstable things in the world. And the, the the poor, I mean, they had to limit them to 150 kilometers an hour. So what's that? About 120 miles an hour because too uh, fast. <laughs> <laughs> Still the, too fast. Imagine the cop on that. That's right. You, you can imagine you're, you're on your little motorcycle. You see one of those things coming up behind. <laughs> oh you God! Miles an hour. It's pretty scary. I have nightmares about that kind of thing. It's, they, got, they all, it's got teeth. <laughs> they all do. But uh, but the problem is is that the the you know the cars the the, the auto the autos they call them. Um, you know, they, they tend to last, but the motor, the poor motorcyclists, they, they, they're only, you know, maybe half of them finish. And most of them are, are what we call privateers, you know, guys that are out there on their own, just trying to see if they can do this. Mm-hmm. And not many of them finish. So when you see a bunch of them start, you know, not a lot of them finish. You just see the, the white boxes kind of dwindle day by day. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Who are you with? Where were the, the three jackasses with an old station wagon and a Buell Day team? That's right. <laughs> There were uh, four Turkish guys that I kind of hung around with for a few of the days, and none of them finished. But they were there from Turkey. They uh, paid their own way, and it's not cheap. You know, those bikes, those KTMs they were on were worth about 80000 bucks a piece and probably about $20,000 to get entrance, and then you got to do all your parts and blah, 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 blah. So these guys are, you know, they're, they're getting their sponsorships, but uh, it's it's not cheap and it's brutal, and none of them finished. I assume they'll all come back the next year. They all came back the next year to try it again, Did, so who knows what drives them. Were they able to at least recover their bikes? Oh, yeah. The, one of them was brought in when I was watching, chatting with one of them. One of them was brought in by helicopter because it had been abandoned in the desert, and he couldn't get out. And they, they got him out, but they brought his in in a, in a helicopter, and, and I guess they got back to Turkey at some point or other. 
What's what's the most common reason a, a rider drops out of the Dakar? Uh, that you noticed, that you saw. Well, either they're like, usually deaf. That 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 happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, at uh, least like one or two people die every year in this thing. Oh, it's, definitely. It's a very dangerous race. There was one poor chap uh, this year in, in January that uh, <clears throat> he he they just found him. He was he was over fifty. He shouldn't have been there probably, but. He did, they just found him and they figure he died of, uh, of, you know, heat exhaustion. They had run out of water. Mm-hmm. But what I think what takes them out mostly is, uh, is mechanical failure. No question. The Turkish guys, <clears throat> one of them had, uh, uh, got some sand into, uh, his, uh, air, uh, sorry, oil filter and that seized up his engine. Um, accidents for sure. A uh, guy in our team, uh, went into a, a river, fell over and his engine got completely full with engine of water and, <clears throat> yeah, hot, engine and, hot engine and cold water is not a good combination. Yeah, and you uh, just can't compress a cylinder of water. Ask anybody who's owned an outboard motor. That's right. And he, I mean, if I think if he'd been smart, he would have taken his plugs out, drained it, waited, got back, and he just tried to kick it over. And <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, top end. It was nice knowing you. Oh yeah, he just blew you know, blew the whole side yeah. of his cylinder out. It was quite something. There's, there's a chance somewhere in the back of his mind he knew what he was doing. And he's yeah. like, this is totally plausible deniability. I am pulling the record <laughs> now. He's like, God, it was fun, but no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, that was, a, that was, that was really quite sad because he was my guy, my Daniel Goet, and, uh, he'd been lured into this water by a photographer, we, we believe, you know. <laughs> was he waving a Gatorade? <laughs> Yeah, no, he was, he was at the other side of the river, and our guy came up and he said, is, he, he, you know, he looked at the photographer and said, is it okay across here? And the guy gave him the thumbs up and brought his camera. <laughs> thumbs up, come on over! Wait, 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 let me set up. You know, you know exactly what? what he did, and went in, and it was uh, about six feet deep. The bike went over, and that was that. Is this photographer related to my wife by any chance? Yeah, it could be. related to his wife. <laughs> he gets out the other side, the photographer's like, oh, you're alive. Could you play dead for a minute? That's right. That's right. Oh, it was it was really sad. But it's just it's it's an incredible event. But these guys, these uh, these these heroes on motorcycles. I don't know if you know the, the sort of the whole uh, ritual they have of how they navigate this thing. You know, I mean, the, each day they're given a road book that says you know it's a prescribed route that they have to take, and it's quite quite detailed. So the guys in cars, of course, have navigators and the guys in trucks have navigators and they're all, you can see them on the headsets, you know, you know, two seconds, we're going to turn right and we'll look out for that boulder and whatever. But these guys in the motorcycle, that's right. And the guys in the photographer says, (laughs) the guys in the bikes, they're, God, they're, they're doing this all on their own and it's, geez, looking down at it. They've got a little machine that scrolls yep, the paper. Scrolls the paper with the cryptic yep. symbols, and, and they're just writing like shit, 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 shit. I'm, I'm kind of wondering how strict are they about the route? Oh, very strict. They have to go through checkpoints, and uh, some are marked and some aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the guys get lost. There was one day that I was watching where the the bikes are out in the lead, and a bunch of them. And what tends to happen if they're a bit lost? They follow each other. So if the guy in the front <laughs> falls, the whole there's a whole crew of them behind them that are also lost. And they got down this uh, river uh, valley and quite steep cliffs on each side. And it was kind of off the route and they missed a checkpoint. So they couldn't come back because there was traffic coming down. Again, those great, <laughs> great big trucks are barreling down at them. So they had to make about a 30-kilometer loop to come back and, and catch this uh, checkpoint again. So they're very, very strict. 
Those guys look like they know where they're going. Ah! <laughs> right. I'm following him. No, no, wait, I'm following I've him. I've made questionable choices. <laughs> Doing this race was the first. <laughs> That's right. Uh, let, let's back up uh, here and, and start sure. from like sort of a beginning. So you you had a friend on the team. Talk to us about what this this team. What what you know? How many people? What was your equipment? Sure. What was your sponsorship? Oh yeah, no. It was, this was one of the I wouldn't say one of the bigger teams. I mean, the big guys are the are the you know BMW X Raid Mini team. I mean, they've got millions and millions of dollars invested. But this was a a Chilean team run by a, a, a company called Tamarugal. Doesn't matter, but it's a very large trucking and logistics company in Chile. Um, and uh, fortunately, the guy who owns it, a guy named uh, I can't remember, but he he. Uh, uh, is uh, a, a rally freak and his son is a rally driver. So he sponsors this. So on our team, we had, there were four motorcycles uh, in, entered and two cars. We had uh, two huge uh, Mercedes-Benz diesel trucks that were with us with all the parts and mechanics. Uh, we had six, no, seven pickup trucks that were part of the team. There were about 38 of us in total, uh, oh. mechanics, uh, drivers. Uh, Protein uh, shakers. Yeah, you know, people like you know, it was only one of me, one only, only one useless me on the team. Everyone else had a had a you know a role, and uh, so it was a, it was a, it's a it's a big a big effort, and uh, you know they're buying you know they've got spare parts for everything, uh, you know extra windshields, they've got new tires every day for the bikes, like fuel uh, owners. <laughs> I'm sorry, like fuel owners. Oh, well, yeah. no, we don't need new tires every day. We need new top ends every day. That's right. right. Sorry, my bad. Continue. <laughs> And uh, so these guys were all running Hondas. Uh, KTM is still the the go-to bike of choice on the Dakar, but the Hondas were doing pretty well. But uh, they just didn't have the speed that the KTM's had. They're all limited to uh, 450cc, mm-hmm. so everything's kind of they're trying to establish a, a level playing field for the bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, it was great. So it was a quite a production. So every night, you know, we'd pull in, and the trucks would form a compound, and we had our little tents and. Uh, shelter out of the sun, so uh, you know, awnings would come up and tents, and uh, these guys, the bikes would come in about maybe three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon, and they'd be completely uh, overhauled while the drivers went, or the riders went and worked on their road book for the next day. They were given it that night for the next day, so they had to study the route, and as you saw, as you said, they mark them up with their own cryptic little uh, calligraphy, and uh, and then we go to bed. They and the, in the bivouac, they feed us. Uh, their showers, their doctors. It's uh, it's quite a production. There are probably close to three thousand people living inside that uh, bivouac every night. Wow! How far? How much time ahead of the actual race was your team preparing? Oh, they're they're working now on next year for sure. I mean, oh, okay. Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> are you going next year? I'm going to try. Um, we're we're going to see. <laughs> hey guys, guys. Guys, wait! I've got some skills. Here I am. Here I am. I mean, you 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 said it's a bug, and it really is a bug. It's it's uh, it's it's quite addictive. I mean, really is. I mean, visually, it's absolutely so beautiful. I mean, you're out in, you know, you're covering an entire continent if you follow it for the full race. I mean, you figure you're you know you're driving ten thousand kilometers. I mean, we were we covered almost all of Argentina, all of northern Chile, and all of southern Peru on my trip, and. And uh, that's some pretty spectacular countryside to to drive through, and 
And uh, it, it's 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 beautiful. It's beautiful. So it is a real bug. And then you've got that whole camaraderie and that whole man machine interface that you watch and see and experience. It's it's pretty spectacular. What were you doing ahead of the race to prepare to be part of this team? Shotgunning beers. Yeah, exactly right. I was. Oh yeah, I used to. I used to run a hundred miles a day and bench press five hundred pounds. And... <laughs> <laughs> so pretty standard. I do that before eight every morning. Exactly. So, uh, well, I went up to, I used, I used to go up to the, uh, there's a, at this, I said the guy that, uh, sponsored the team, uh, had a big trucking company. So they had, he gave them a great big building at the back of his property where they would stage everything. So I used to go up the odd day and see if I could help out, but it was basically, you know, put this in that box and that's, that's all I was doing, but it was still pretty correct. <laughs> go see if that snake's poison. Can you get that wheel nerd sticker off of the bike? <laughs> Right. You know, what is this thing? And they say, oh, don't worry about it. Just put it in that box and shut up. You know? It'll likely not explode. <laughs> and the other thing is it was all in Spanish, and I don't really speak Spanish. <laughs> I was, was going to ask what the common language was for the team. Oh, I was, uh, I was called the, the uh, uh, crazy gringo, they called me, or el stupido gringo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't mean crazy. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't it? Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know. But they uh, they did have a lot of fun at my expense. There's no question about that. <laughs> so let's see. With four riders, two cars, uh, how many finished? Uh, three motorcycles. Two cars cacked out on the first and second day. And uh, one of the bikes, as I said, uh, crashed in the river on day eight, I think it was. Uh -huh. now, inquiring minds want to know what, what kind of cars... Well, they're, they're not really anything you'd see. I mean, they were based loosely on a Honda power plant, but, uh, they were all custom made, uh, wow. all made of, you know, they're all aluminum. They probably had easily 250, 300,000 US dollars invested in each car by the time they got out there. The guy, these guys saw Mad Max six or seven times and were like, we're they're taking notes. <laughs> we'll build that. Oh, I want the, I want the one with the little guy riding in the front. <laughs> You, you can imagine, but though you can imagine the, the sort of that, what, what goes through your mind is you've just written that check for $300,000 and you're all excited and you watch the guy head out on the first day and he breaks <laughs> the Sorry, boss. Sorry. <laughs> Next year. There was, there was a squirrel. <laughs> or whatever equivalent there is in South America. There was a chupacabra. A small and furry thing came right at me. It's actually a chinchilla. They have chinchilla reserves down there. So we have a <laughs> It was so cute. I couldn't do it. And, I, and they have signs, you know, the little yellow sign in a triangle with a chinchilla in the middle. And I, you know, I didn't know what a chinchilla looks like, but I do now. See, if they had had bills, it would have been no problem. Bills eat I'm just, those I'm just things. looking, you know, you think of the signs, the something crossing signs, and usually it's like a deer. I'm imagining a chinchilla the size of a deer, and you know what? I'd swerve around that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Except these aren't the size of deer. These are still the size of a hockey puck. <laughs> <laughs> There's hundreds of them just swarming the road. <laughs> squeak, squeak. Adorable, huge yeah, eyes. Keep this big. Yeah. <laughs> the truck crashes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so with that kind of result, with free bikes and everything else going up in fire, what, was the owner happy? Uh, good? I'm not sure he was happy with this result, but uh, he was back the next year with with the same cars and four bikes and, and uh, different, fact, drivers. <laughs> different drivers. No, the same drivers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they didn't make it again. So. 
Who knows? <laughs> consistency. It's all about consistency. Right. Each driver was back short again, and, they're, and they're back again next year. They're all out on a thing called the uh, Desafio Cuarenta, which is the Highway 40 rally in Argentina. It's just uh, running right now. Mm-hmm. And he's running his cars there, trying to get them, test them, and uh, get them so they can, you Not know. For more than two days. More than For more than two days, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I feel pretty good about the motorcycles then. They yeah. Seem like they put in a pretty good showing compared to the cars. No joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least on our team, they did. And the, the the bikes were, the bikes were really well built. Had been tested. They had good mechanics. I think the first year I was there, the cars were really being tested. They'd just been built. They'd been built by a company in uh, Los Angeles and shipped down. And I I really don't think they'd been tested really in the desert. It's you know there's. You, you, there's nowhere you can, you've got to be in the desert on the Dakar to test these things. And, and until you've been there, you don't know what to expect. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's crazy. Why is these cars only have heaters? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they took the heater out this time. No air conditioning. Now, okay, I'm going to ask you a pretty obvious question. Um, there's the TV series Race to Dakar. Okay. Have you watched it? Uh, no. Okay. Then that, this question will fall flat because I was going to ask th- that, that series follows, you know, B, C, D grade celebrity as he tries to do to the car. Really? And yes. Crashes. And yeah, he makes it three, four days, maybe six days. Better than the car. <laughs> Better than the car. Better than your car. And I, I was just kind of curious to see how, how authentic that experience was compared to yours. But since you haven't seen it, I'll just edit all this out. <laughs> scratch, scratch that question. I mean, I know, I know I've read Charlie Borman's book about, uh, you know, is that what you mean? Charlie yeah, Borman? Charlie Borman's race. To all the right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, that was, that was pretty legit. I mean, he did a lot of training beforehand. I mean, I didn't, he didn't get as much desert, uh, you know, sand training as perhaps he should have. Right. But I mean, he broke both his wrists and, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, he crashed and, it's that's that's pretty yeah that was that was pretty realistic i i mean i haven't seen the tv series around it but i certainly read the book oh, and, okay. uh, that was pretty legit i i think he, he he really did do his best to do it i mean charlie's i wouldn't call him a celebrity i guess he is but uh i think he's a true motorcyclist and he, he does it for love and and he tried this thing i mean one of the one of the crazier people to do it was uh, margaret thatcher the prime minister of britain her son went out and tried to do oh. it in a- <laughs> That got disappointing fast. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, Margaret Thatcher running into the car. This is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and he, this poor guy got, he got lost in the Sahara Desert for four days. And I think his mother was saying, please don't find him. But I think they finally did dig him out eventually after four days. But uh, that was a bit him, of a mess. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> Come back on your bike or not at all. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, mother. <laughs> Okay, yeah, because Charlie's, they had, uh, three bikes, mm-hmm. and two of them wiped out, and the, the, the one who actually had experience doing it a car was the one that finished. Hmm. That's right, that's right. Seven and it pages. really is, if, if, you know, you, you really don't try and win, you know, you really just, you have to keep telling yourself. As one guy said to me, you know, once you get into, as he called it, you know, you can see it in quotation marks, race mode, that's when you start to make mistakes. And he was telling me that he tried to pass a guy because he got into race mode and got all crazy and, <laughs> he got, you know, wound up on a rock and broke, you know, uh, uh, flattened two tires. And he was lucky to to get out of that day or he would have been finished. And he said, you know, really what you need to do is realize, hey, I'm not going to win this thing. I just want to finish this thing. And 
mean, you gotta, you gotta get through each day. So you can't sort of, you know, just kind of puddle, you know, putter along, but you really gotta be very, very measured and take your time and just get through it. It's, uh, that's how most of the privateers try and get done. Mm-hmm. Now, the guys who do win this thing, what are they like? Oh, they're mad. And you, you really can see it. You know, you, you get these spectator zones and you watch the, you know, the top riders come through and they are right on the edge of disaster the whole time. It's just astonishing how much faster and how much better they are. And then you see the sort of the also rans coming up behind them, you know, glancing at their road books and looking up and missing turns and going wide on turns. But the, uh, you know, the real pros, they're, they're, I mean, they're not quite touching their knees to the ground and the, but they're, they're really, really moving. It's a completely different paradigm. And most of them would be professionals, right? I mean, somebody's paying them to basically go forth and ride the shit out of this. That's right. That's their life. And that's the guy that I sponsored and worked with. He wants to be, uh, that's what his career is. He wants to be in the rally world. And he came eighth last year. He moved up. Uh, and if he gets into the, he stays in the top 10, he's going to get the sponsorship. And that'll be like Formula One. You know, he'll have all the money, all the sponsorship. The bikes will come, et cetera, et cetera. And he'll run rally for, well, maybe till he's 30 or early 30s, and then he'll open a motorcycle store, and uh, he's got it made. <laughs> Back up there, what, what do you mean? You, it was somebody you sponsored? Well, I went, we raised some money for them. So this, this, okay. this I was telling you the, 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 you know, the whole story of how I met this guy and his okay. son, and, and his name is Daniel Gouet, and uh, G O U E T. And uh, so I went and raised some money, got some friends to throw some bucks behind him and uh, to help him out with his uh, his second car. And, and uh, that was also part of my commitment to the team was trying to raise some money for them, too. Mm-hmm. So th- did you get to put your name on the bike in like 12 point font? <laughs> I got my some of my friends and their sponsorships to put their name on. Yeah. His, was, his was actually written like on the underside of the exhaust can. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the one of the more interesting sponsors was uh, Neil Peart, was the drummer for the oh, Canadian for Rush. band Rush. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he uh, he threw some money in, and he has this uh, uh, crazy little website uh, called Bubba's Bar and Grill, so which is sort of his fictitious restaurant. And, and so Bubba's Bar and Grill was a pretty prominent sponsor of Daniel, and he had his little logo on the side of the bike. So that was kind of fun. Hmm. So the the this guy, um, what's he do the rest of the year? When he's he trains the car. He's, he's out, doing other rallies. Oh yeah, there are rallies all through the year. There, there are two or three in South America. There's, uh, there's one in the Middle East. There's one in Russia. Uh, they're rallying all the time. And and uh, but the Dakar is the holy grail. The rest of them are essentially warm ups. And if you guys wanted to, for example, go in, you would have to go in some of these rallies to to uh, essentially qualify to compete in the Dakar. So you have to show that you're just, you know, you've actually done something like this before. They don't just let anybody in. You're not just some goober. You won't die on the first day. Exactly. <laughs> and start! <laughs> oh, God! Stop standing! <laughs> Out of the way! <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I know, I know. Is, is there any... Uh, maybe, I don't know if you've heard this, but is, is there any talk or... Any movement, even among the riders or the contestants, competitors, wanting to move to Dakar back across to where it came from? Not at this point. I mean, you know, I mean, you probably follow political world as as much as I do, but uh, Northwest Africa is still not a place you want to go, and particularly out in the desert. So no, there's no real and they and this the South America is it, this this continent has embraced the the Dakar in in 
no uncertain terms. There, there were an estimated five million people that came out and watched this thing live along the roads. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty ugly, out of shape, you know, weird looking guy, but I had people all the time, every day coming up and asking for my autograph and please have my picture taken with their children and their wives. And, and, uh, you know, every town we'd go into, they'd just be 10 deep lined along the road waving. When we came into, uh, Peru, into Lima, Peru at the end, I mean, there were easily 300, 400,000 people just there. It's, it's astonishing. So no, I, well, I'd, I'd be surprised if it goes anywhere from, uh, strays anywhere from South America for a long time. It really is, uh, is, uh, the continent really has given them a very warm welcome. Found its new home. That's cool. I think so. I think so. I hope so. And you don't just hope so because you have a house there. Yeah, I mean, we do. We spend a lot of the winter down there, so I really want to stay involved with this thing. Like <laughs> what, what bike are you riding? Well, I've got a, a BMW uh, F800GS up here in uh, in Canada, and I have a Honda Transalp down in uh, South America. Uh, it's it's not really a, a well-known bike up here, but it's, it's a sort of a similar GS-style uh, touring uh, bike. What do you do the rest of the year when you're you're not hanging on to the Dakar? I'm a writer. I try and I'm writing some nonfiction, and I'm a bit of a journalist and a business writer as well. That's my day job, and but this is the real fun stuff. <laughs> so, were you taking notes each day while you were on the Dakar? Were you like talking into a recorder? I uh, I made notes and I blogged every night. So we'd go into the we'd get into the bivouac. I'd be out all day with the team, uh, you know, watching and uh, you know talking to folks, and then. Uh, We'd get into the bivouac, sort of five, six o'clock, and there was a, a tent for. I was I was classed as a writer, or a journalist on the on the Dakar, and they gave us a special section that we could go in and bit of shelter and work. So I would blog every day, and that was sort of the basis of the book. Yeah, right, take some photos. We could get into the car that way by saying we're journalists. If well, you, it's, it's it ain't cheap. It. Yeah, yeah, you can. You gotta have. You gotta sort of show accreditation, and I mean, I was lucky to be part of this team, and I was their journalist apparently. But. <laughs> Day 11. They've asked me to go out and create a distraction. I'm sure this is not a trap. That's right. Because there are no photographers. A lot of photographers. It's very visual. They've got uh, at least seven or eight helicopters that are overhead every each and every day following these guys. And it's, I mean, the photography, the, the it's stunning. It really is stunning. Particularly that one of that guy in the river. <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't. We don't look at that one. Please. No one ever found that photographer. <laughs> yeah, we hope he didn't come back. <laughs> the trucks got him. They ran over him eight times. So, what? 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 One story kind of really sticks in your head from the Dakar that you can you want you can talk about mm-hmm. without ruining your book. <laughs> one story. Wow. Uh, hmm. I think one of the most poignant moments, and this isn't, you know, like the humorous side, was uh, I, I was talking to the uh, chief doctor, the woman that runs, she's French, runs the uh, uh, the medical services there. I mean, there's a full emergency room hospital there. They've got about 15 or 16 doctors on call that work with them. And I was asking, you know, what, you know, what it's like. And, and uh, she was telling me that the real, the issue for her and for the team was they really get to know these fellows, you know, these folks, because they're in and out with, you know, sprained this and cuts and bruises and, and they really get to know them. And, uh, she was telling me the story of, uh, uh one of the, one of the riders whose uh, first name was Elmer, he was South African. 
And she was laughing because she has a little child and she used to read uh, books about, there's a, a cartoon series in France about Elmer, who's an elephant. Uh, it's not the safety elephant, but there's something else. And uh, this this young chap uh, was killed in, in one of the Dakars and, you know, how tough it was for her because she had known him and kind of got to know him a bit and his name and had to call his family and tell the family what had happened and that was a pretty poignant moment. And so I blogged about this and then I had this incredible swelling of people that knew this man from around, had known this man from around the world, Belgians and French and Australians that had been involved with this guy and uh, were, you know, so, you know, writing me and saying, you know, thanks for, for remembering him. And, and then they told me about that they had all gathered and, uh, tried to retrace his route on the Dakar route. And this was in, going back to Africa when he had died and uh, tried to retrace his route and build a, you know, a little stone cairn to his memory out in the middle of bloody nowhere in the Sahara Desert. And it really was, it was quite a touching thing to sort of understand how close these people become. Uh, not only the doctors uh, and the competitors, but all the people around them and, and uh, sort of the involvement that they take in the lives of a Dakar competitor. That was, that was quite something. I was quite moved by that. Wow. Yeah, no, it was something else. Now, on the, on the funny side, um, I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to uh, scotch whiskey. So I like uh, my single malt scotch from Scotland. Anything with a glen in it is okay with me. Hey, it's just like our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And uh, so I had brought along a big flask of, uh, of Macallan with me. And on, on, during the rest day... Um, I thought I should bring this out. And so, you know, you, the, Chil the, the Chileans are very, you know, I, they like their wine and their beer and they drink a thing called Pisco, which is sort of a wine derivative, like a tequila almost, but they're not big on the hard liquor. And, uh, but I thought, you know, I should introduce them to some of the finer things in life. And we were all sitting around and I said, would anyone like a, some, some scotch whiskey? And they all kind of said, no, they're very polite. Oh no, not for me. No, no, no. Thank you. And, uh, and then one brave chap said, well, I'll, I'll try some. And so I poured some in a little glass for him. And then, of course, everybody else came along and they were all having a glass. And then they all got their big cans of Red Bull and they filled up their glasses of beautiful single malt scotch. Red Bull. And so I had to get very nasty with them and explain that that just simply wasn't done. It's Red Bull scotch. Oh, man. Well, that was just not done. So we had a long, long talk about that. And they uh, said, well, what what you have to do then is is uh, because most of it was gone then is 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 meet us at the end of the of the rally with uh, with some more. So fortunately, my wife was flying from uh, Toronto down to uh, Lima to meet us at the end, and I got her on Skype and said, "Would you bring?" And she brought down from duty free two big bottles of Macallan, which were then enjoyed by the team on the last night properly, with just a little touch of water and no Red Bull. So it was a it was a better a better evening, a better ending to the Dakar. Scott. and Red Bull. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds okay. Oh, oh no, no. It's just uh, not done. Oh, you peasant. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't want to say that. <laughs> what? Cherry Coke and the stuff we were drinking last week. <sighs> <laughs> that was McCallan. Nobody likes you. <laughs> I, I can't tell. The, you know, it's... So, David, any, anything else uh, coming after the book? I mean, what what's next? 
Um, well, I'm going to, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I do a lot of motorcycle touring up here. I'm, I'm heading down to a big BMW rally in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota in July. Holy wow. I'm going to, uh, yeah, there are going to be a lot of people there. And uh, I'm heading out to uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is on the east coast of Canada in two weeks. That'll be about a five-day trip out and back each way. And so I've got some tours coming up and then really looking forward to getting back to South America. I mean, the motorcycle touring down there, guys, is to die for. It's just brilliant. It's uh, beautiful roads and, it, you know, it's 70, 80 degrees every day and sunny and, and it never rains and it's, you know, it goes down to about, I don't know, 45, 50 at night. So you get a good night's sleep and it's just beautiful touring and not a lot of traffic. It's, I, I would commend and recommend anybody to any kind of time they can is to uh, get down there and do some motorcycle touring. It's fantastic. Unless you're doing it the car, in which case yeah. it's kind of hell. Watch out for the trucks. <laughs> That's kind of you got to just stay on, stay on the, uh, stay on the hard pack for sure. And and you're planning to be back for the 2015 Dakar. Oh yeah, definitely. I'll be there at some point or other. Zero to sixty, uh, I think seven six zero to sixty dot info. <laughs> Thank you. We'll have a link on the website for it. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> and I'm bye bye bye. Still your still your picture. Help me uh, help me pay for some gasoline and some new rubber for my motorcycle. That yeah, buy, buy the book. And, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to the get the the car perspective from not someone who's right in in the middle of riding it. Who's like, I saw a lot oh of god. dust. Oh god, there was dust and, and there was a tree. Rock, rock, tree, tree. Then okay, I broke yeah. all these bones. Yeah, I call this like a it's a backstage pass. It really is how it works and what goes on in those bivouacs and and uh, it really is a whole different life. It's it's quite something. Sweet. Well, cool, David. Thanks so much for being on with us tonight. Yeah, you're welcome, guys, and uh look forward to uh, hearing it and keeping in touch with you guys and if you ever get down to South America and Chile, you let me know and you got a house to come and stay with. Way careful what you offer. Chuck yeah. will be down there. Yeah. Is there a couch? <laughs> yeah, there's a couch, and but definitely there's no Red Bull with your single malt. I can guarantee. That. <laughs> Thanks, David. Okay, guys. So there you go. Camp follower. I I could dig that. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see the car in person someday, or at I, least a stage of it. I I can't 100% decide. You'd have to find the right spot to watch. I could see the Dakar being a little bit like watching bobsled. Because okay. when you watch bobsled, this is how it goes. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, 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 wait. And repeat over and over. Mm-hmm. But I suppose if you found the right spot, it could be pretty cool to watch. Or even if you just kind of follow the camp. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. See the, the, the see them come in and come out each day. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Race to Dakar? Have you watched that? Bits. Bits. I really, I like that better than the, the long ways. Uh, ones they did. Yeah, well, it's got a little more of the documentary kind of feel. Yeah, it. and it feels a little bit more, it feels a lot more authentic. Yeah, Because he's actually doing the race, and mm-hmm. you know, he's not getting carried through it. Mm-hmm. And he got really hurt. <laughs> Ow. <Yeah>. Ow. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> That's cool, though. And I, I'm, I'm actually very, I might, I might have to pick up this book when I get home tonight, because I'm I'm interested in what it's like being part of that kind of this giant community of people that moves around while, you know, 50, 60, 
giant, crazy maniacs in cars and motorcycles are mm-hmm. blasting around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like a two week nomad journey, and, you know, hobos in the desert. Mm-hmm. Watch out for the trucks <laughs> and the cars. <laughs> you seen that? You know how they got the the early warning thing on the bikes, right? Early warning thing. Yeah, so they've got the the, the bikes and the cars have uh, transponders and receivers. Yeah. So that the car drivers can push a button to broadcast a signal that makes a little beeping go off on bikes to let them know a car oh, is coming. here comes a car. Right. Interesting. Assuming they remember. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a... In time. <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> Never mind. And, you know, like in that race to the car, the, the riders they were interviewing were all saying, there's like no more frightening sound to hear a bunch beep, of bikes beep, start beep, going... Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Especially <laughs> when you're stopped. <laughs> <laughs> You're stopped, you're helping your mate pull your bike up, you know, you're getting a drink, you're taking a nap, you're eating, whatever, and your bike just starts screaming at you. <laughs> Scatter! <laughs> Meanwhile, the person in the car is like, I got motorcycles at 12 o'clock with tone. <laughs> they follow the beeping in. <laughs> Clearly, that guy knows where he's going. <laughs> And you see, like, there's one, like, I don't know, I guess call it stock footage from there where you just see a, a car plow through a sand dune mm-hmm. into the bike with the rider on it and plow over. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> see, that that's the kind of stuff about, you know, the cars catching up that just fills me with fear Yeah, yeah. the car. I, I like that. Makes me not want to be there. You know? <laughs> he talks about how great South America is with no traffic, unless you're in the Dakar rally. Yeah, the car. In which case, there's some freaking traffic, man. Yeah, I mean, people die on the car. Not even just the the racers, spectators have mm. been killed in the Dakar. Well, you know, some guy in the, the tipsy turvy truck goes around a corner too fast. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there's uh, controversy about doing this race, you know, because mm. I. I don't know if it was last year. It might have been while it was still in the desert, the car, that uh, some kid got killed hmm. because, you know, the car, race car plowed into him. The kid was too close to the track. Yeah. And they're like, is this worth human lives? Hmm. I mean, the racers are all like, yeah. You're- <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. Is it worth this kid's life? Am I anonymous right now? <laughs> yep. Are you doing that thing where I'm blacked out? I want boys, I sound funny. Totally. I mean, and it's and like you said, it's a passion for those guys. I yeah, I would love to to see it in person. Be fun to see it in person. I yeah, wouldn't want to race it, but yeah, it's all right. I don't it, have remotely the skills to race it. Do you know? Probably never will. And there's different ways to go about it. You can do it the way he did. Mm-hmm. Um, both times. You can just try follow. You can try again a crew, which is really fortunate for him. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that BMW school? Rawhide? Mm-hmm. They do a Dakar tour where they, uh, they follow. Gotcha. Um, this is where the Dakar riders run a lot faster. You need to go slow. Yeah, yeah. You, Chuck, need to go really slow. <laughs> <laughs> can I bring my bill? Sure. <laughs> but only if you put BMW stickers on the sides. <laughs> Wait, no, no. Let, let, we'll just cover it with a shawl. They'll never come off. <laughs> we need to get you some roundels for that thing. 
deals are getting obscure enough now that we could seriously mess with people with that. Uh, now. <laughs> obscure enough now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just imagine riding up, you know, B- uh, BMWing out my Buell, and then riding up into, like, the front of a dealership with it going, bum, 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 Other riders are there, like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't look right at, don't make eye contact. Is it supposed to do that? Oh my god. Totally. Is it, he's, I think his, his throttle bodies must be out of sync. <laughs> is, is your BMW okay? <laughs> it's fine. I, 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 I actually had two F650s. And what I did was, I stuck them together. The oil change procedure is now 130 steps long, but I really like the way it rides. <laughs> then you turn it off and the fan turns on for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> When's it going to stop? About the time I leave. <laughs> is this like a mistake from being... Nope, that's next year's model. Nope. That's where, that's the way things are going. You're going to pay $25,000. They're trying it. to get that middle-aged market. <laughs> and the middle-aged market loves... <laughs> this has legs. We can do this. <laughs> what did I pay? Six bucks last time on eBay for four roundels? We're going to get banned from every BMW dealer we come to. You guys need to go away! <laughs> what? No. Can't hear you. Hit me over the view. Let me turn it off. I mean the BMW. <laughs> what is that? Is that a Beamer? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's this on about our mini topic? Well, Luke sent in an email. There's a bunch of the first part of the email that I erased because I was bored. But he, uh, <laughs> making fans, making fans everywhere you go. So Luke says, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> there was another post detailing all sorts of stupid newbie tricks people do on their bikes while waving to another rider while stopped at a stop sign with your left hand in the bike and gear <laughs> or putting a nylon cover on a bike without waiting for the pipes to cool, making a hole in your cover. Oops. Not part of the instructions or all sorts of kill switch shenaniganry. Uh-huh. What are some of the more frequent or amusing stupid newbie tricks that you can share with us? Cheers, Luke, mortal enemy of Craig. <laughs> so, Craig has a nemesis. Seems so. <laughs> uh, we don't do any stupid newbie stuff. No, I certainly have never fallen over in front of a bunch of girls at a stop sign on the bike. Really? No, it didn't happen. On no. the Volusia? Uh, no, that would have been on uh, Purple Rain. Purple Rain? Okay. Yes, with Windjammer and everything. And that never happened. Were nope. they young girls? Yeah. Were they pretty? Yeah. That's why I wasn't paying very close attention. (laughs) Put my foot in a pothole. (laughs) Similarly, it never happened that Claire ever uh, stopped his brand new ST1100 in the sloped parking lot and put the wrong foot down. Uh Uh-huh. No, that didn't happen. Uh Uh-huh. No. Uh, Well, there's that time you did not overfill your Ninja with gas when we were in Wyoming. I I have no recollection of, of uh-huh. said thing. Yes, the river of gas from the ninja. It wasn't a Come, river. It, it was, was a river. Drizzle. It was pouring it off was... the bottom. You're like, something's wrong. It was pouring off the bottom. You guys, what is it doing? <laughs> is it supposed to do? 
You guys looked at him and were like, what is it doing? <laughs> yeah. We're like, shit, I don't know. <laughs> We've only been running for a year and a half. <laughs> I think it's going to explode. <laughs> I'm going to move my bike away now. <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeak. <laughs> yeah, that never happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there wasn't that time that I... Uh, I went into the gas station and tried to put my bike up on its center stand and knocked it over on top of Claire's bike, which in turn knocked it and Claire over. <laughs> that never happened. Oh, but Claire's tiny. Yeah, I know. He and the little Vulcan 750 never had a chance. <laughs> the purple rain landed on them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it made the noise like a tree. I've, I've never pulled to a stop in sand. Mm-hmm. And then immediately went to bed. No, that that never happens. No, Mike Mike didn't d- didn't stop in soft gravel once and fall over. <laughs> I didn't stop in soft gravel once and fall over. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. No. So we we don't really know anything about these newbie mistakes. Mm. Certainly, the first time I ever got a motorcycle inspected, I didn't pass inspection and then ride home and run out of gas on the uh, off ramp because I didn't understand how reserve worked on the petcock. Oh yeah. And and no time during this did this car window next to me roll down and it was the guy who inspected the bike laughing at me. <laughs> oh. That never happens. That's mean. <laughs> I believe he said something along the lines of didn't make it very far, huh? <laughs> At which point I just sobbed in my helmet. I've never come to a stop with the engine racing at 12,000 uh, RPM in the clutch all the way in. Oh, okay. Wondering what's going on. <laughs> Why does it make that noise? <laughs> I've never had the instructor have to come over and make my hand go, You need to release the claw now. <laughs> <laughs> I am letting go. No, no, you're not. <laughs> not so much. You have a glove on your hand that makes your hand bigger. <laughs> Huh, yeah. Yeah, newbie uh, stuff. Good times. Everybody's got their newbie moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The key thing is you make sure there's something innocuous like falling over in gravel. Oh, I fell over in a parking lot because uh, I, I, I turned into the row, and I saw a car turn in on the opposite end and come right at me. Uh-huh, so you fell over? Promptly. <laughs> with gusto <laughs> like away <laughs> like he had shot me with a gun <laughs> chuck man to the ground and he went by me at like two miles an hour and his head just turned the whole time <laughs> well, he was waiting for you to do something crazy are you okay <laughs> I'm fine <laughs> okay the ninja doesn't sound like that <laughs> Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good times. Yep. I like it much better now that I don't fall over quite so much. I haven't, yeah, yeah, I haven't fallen over this year. <laughs> well, you haven't tried to ride in the winter this year. Not yet, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear that can make you fall over. No, I got frame sliders for the, for the Beal, just in case. By the way, I'm pretty sure, I, I occurred to me something today. When I was looking at this letter, I turned to my wife and I said, you know, have Chuck and Claire gotten you, like, a fruit basket or something for taking that picture? Because I'm pretty sure the amount of joy you've brought them, they owe you one by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That picture deserves to be on, like, a magazine cover. It's mm-hmm. perfect. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You should, like, make it a poster and hang it up in your class. We could probably actually sell a lot of that picture as a wheel <laughs> merchandise, come to think of it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Black bikes get sleepy. <laughs> oh, man. So we have some other listener mail. Uh, Marv sent us a guide to asshole parking technique. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is with the Can-Ams. Uh, yeah, apparently, apparently at some office somewhere they provided the motorcycle parking. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some guy with a Can-Am who can't seem to uh, put it into motorcycle parking spaces. I don't think a Can-Am should park in a motorcycle space. I think it's reasonable to think it could park in a motorcycle space. You figure it would take up two of them. Yeah. So, you know. But yeah, according to this diagram, it shouldn't. I guess, let me think. Can-Am's fairly narrow. That's why this guy is is mad at the Can-Am rider, because he took up two spaces. Yeah. You know, he, he's like, your wheels should just go edge to edge of the line. Right on the line, and yeah. I will park right next to you. Fuck yeah. that. I'm yeah. not going to take that kind of time. No. <laughs> no. I'm I'll not. just park in a spot. Yeah, I mean, in my work, there's, there's, uh, by the pillars, there's two spots next to each other mm-hmm. with open ends going either way, and the motorcyclists try to fill those up as quick as we can in the morning. Unless asshole with the freaking Mustang parks there. I hate you, Mustang guy. We were like that. We do that. Yeah. I'm going to go in there at night with a spray can and label it motorcycle parking only. Dickwad. <laughs> Not for fucking Mustangs. There's a spot in my parking uh, structure that's a lot of people with motorcycles park there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting, I'm thinking I'm going to stop parking there. Yeah. The surface is really slippery. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's almost like getting to be oily. Weird. Yeah. And it just kind of gets worse as time goes by. From all the motorcycles dribbling oil, or is it just I something am, about where it is in the building? I think it's just where it is in the building, maybe. Are all you that... parked in the sump? The what? The sump. The sump. The low point where the drain is? No. Hmm. I'm not. No. This is like the, this is the, the stairwell where the, the stairs come out and people walk through and stuff. Oh. Hmm. Um, Puzzling. I think it's just where all the hobos go to pee. Mm. <laughs> Could be. And there's a lot of vomit there too. Yeah. So yeah. that's why it's slippery. <laughs> <laughs> Not only did I slip and fall, I slipped and la- fell and landed in hobo vomit. Good thing I'm on the buell. <laughs> the buell does not seem to care. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, the Can Am's as big as they are. Yeah, I mean, go take a parking spot. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't park the Ural in the in the. Motorcycle parking spaces, generally speaking, because it's huge. Yeah, screw that noise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, on the on the other hand, I do like the way they made little like signs they could stick in the grass nearby, and they get these increasingly ridiculous passive aggressive measures they take. Like, well, yeah. Little little love notes on the bike and Motorcycle moving on the signs. And, you guys, you stop, hey. Canyon guy. You guys, suck with it. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Our, our next one is from Micah. Micah. Micah also thinks the Hello Kitty Gixer person is full of shit. So I was listening to your episode with the Hello Kitty Gixer. Most modern 1,000cc sport bikes make near or more power than a Busa, and her Gixer makes maybe 170 max. How do you know it's a girl, Mika? Micah. Micah sounds like a girl's name. Does Are you a bit. girl, Micah? I went to high school with a girl named Micah. Me too. I'm, this is your bike, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. 
Uh, oh, uh, and my ZX-10R makes 175 at the wheel, and Gixxers are known to be one of the slower 1,000s. There's a little posturing going on here. Oh, and they won't do 200 miles an hour as close, but only a S1000RR and a Ducati 1199R will do that. Just thought I'd let you know what they'd actually do. Oh, and you need major, blah, 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 blah. Major engine work, race fuel to get to 200. Michael, are you cute? I don't think they can hear you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I still the 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 claims are pretty extreme that are being made about the Hello Kitty Gixer. We got a pretty good fan letter here. Oh, did we? From uh, Shane. <clears throat> Shane writes, "Your podcast is absolutely shit. I don't understand how people can possibly listen to this garbage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. laughing like little girls at each other's unfunny bullshit. Mm-hmm. You should just shut down the podcast and start sucking each other's cocks full time, like you know you want to." Hmm. Hmm. Now that's some interesting feedback. Uh, you actually answered him. I, I did. I said it was very flattering that he uh, thought about us so vividly. Yeah, and he I said, touched. Shane said, I would uh, I would much rather watch you suck each other off. Than listen to your podcast. Just refrain from talking, please. I think he just wants to watch each other you know, do I, stuff to each other. It's touching and everything, but I'm just going to say this. There are professionals out there who are a lot better at making those kind of movies. I'd like to say, even if I was gay, I'd like to think I could do a little better. Nobody likes you. (laughs) (laughs) And just for that, Shane, I will be sending you an autographed shirtless picture of Todd. (laughs) 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 Pre-shaved. Mommy, why is Bigfoot walking down the street? <laughs> there he was, just a walking down the street, singing do I diddy diddy. Get me a beer, bitch. Something like that. Yep. So Matthew sent us a, a video review of the Bandit 1250, which starts funny and gets weird. Um, we'll post a link to we'll it. We'll post it. Okay. Whoever was making the video was trying a little too hard at times. Okay. That said, it does make one extremely cool observation that I like. The people who can do math well will note that a Bandit 1250 is only one moped away from a roid-raged-out Hayabusa. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, makes it a pretty good deal overall. And having ridden a Bandit 1250, I can tell you it it goes. <laughs> It'll go. Roid rage. <laughs> Eat, clean, trend hard. Zavanaman mm-hmm. uh, wants to sell Todd a wing. Uh-oh. Hey, guys. Been listening for a while now and thought I would send you guys some feedback. I really enjoy listening to your show, unlike Shane, who likes to think of you guys sucking each other's cocks. Hmm. I work and live here locally in Salt Lake Valley. Shit. <laughs> and your show keeps me, <laughs> keeps me from going insane. I would also like to say Team Chuck. Eh. Due to his positive experience with his Versus, I purchased one myself last March and have been loving every minute of it. Cool. And he comes from uh, come from a cruiser. Never going back. Sweet. Smart. Yeah, Versus. Uh, on a side note, just listened to episode 104 and heard about the passing of the Earl. And Todd mm. commented about wanting a wing as a possible pusher. My father-in-law inherited a 1987 Goldwing Aspen yeah, 
and just had the carbs overhauled, la, fork la, seals la, done, and barks brakes replaced. La, 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 it has uh, 104,000 miles la, and is in mint shape. If you're interested, Todd, in taking a look or want some pictures, I could get some for you. I'm sure he would let you test ride if you wanted. La, la, He's asking thirty eight hundred for it. Uh, everything works. You can hear thing. Is it over yet? Yeah. Oh, good. Goldwing thirty eight hundred dollars. No, shut up. Ah! <laughs> uh, a nineteen eighty seven. Let me think. That'd be eleven or twelve. I don't remember which. Or would that be a fifteen? Damn it! No. Um, I have a moratorium. Let me, let me see all the check boxes on the list this thing checks. Uh, old? Yes. Gold ring? Yes. Uh, reasonably priced? Yes. Is, is it tan gold? Cause that, that would just seal it. Mm-hmm. I don't think Todd would be able to res- resist I, that. I, I, I have a moratorium on writing gold. Send a picture time. with like a sheepskin on the seat. <laughs> This no, a, I don't need this. No. Yeah. No, I just got rid of a bike. Right. There's a big gaping hole in your heart. The intention is not to buy another. A big gaping hole. Although I did lose my discount on my insurance for having multiple vehicles. Exactly. So I better buy a real shitty cheap vehicle. Something in a 50cc scooter is in my future, I think. $3,800 Goldwing. 87 Goldwing Aspen Cade. Mm-hmm. Can't hear you. La, la, la. <laughs> la, 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 la. Oh, there's a part of you that's heard it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Send pictures, nope. Savannah man. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Todd wants to see it. Nope. <laughs> I, I have to be perfectly honest. If I was getting a Goldwing as a pusher, I would probably want the fuel-injected one. Mm. If there's one thing the Ural taught me, it's that fuel injection is really nice. <laughs> you know what's great about fuel injection? Everything. And they just kind of learned that this year. Yeah, yeah. Their, their few new fuel injection. Do you? I oh, I got a packet from them. It's like they're taunting me. Really? You know, because I was in the Ural emissary program. They oh, sent yeah, you yeah, like yeah. pamphlets. This is me. This like no shit. Two days after my Ural rolls away, mm-hmm. I get this giant ass thing of pamphlets of like, look at the new Urals. They're great. I've got one on my coffee table now. <laughs> Come buy one, Todd. Todd. <laughs> They have disc brakes, like you said you wanted. Todd. Todd. Todd, fuel injection. Todd looks out his bedroom window at night. Hello. <laughs> Would you like to talk about it, Europe? It's good. <laughs> Hello. We could come in. Heavy is good. Open door. Heavy is reliable. <laughs> it doesn't work. You can always hit them with it. Still fixed with hammer. <laughs> Fuel injection fixable with hammer. <laughs> Available today. <laughs> we brought one to your ass. <laughs> We're just going to leave it here. <laughs> just, just leave it parked in front all week if you don't want it. We'll come pick it up. <laughs> I have to, I have to focus, focus on the, you know. Hey, Zvonga man, you want to bring the bike over? We can park it in front no. of Todd's house. <laughs> That's the terrible thing is I've sold a bike and now I'm like, I only have one bike. Mm. I am breaking all of the averages for MSF instructors. Mm-hmm. The average, by the way, is three. <laughs> hmm. yes. That means there's people with more, FYI. And people with less. True. You know, people who... I, I only know of one at the moment who owns only one. People who, you know, clearly aren't so serious. 
<laughs> not not dedicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, can't hear you. No, 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 no. It did make me think. Uh, you know, uh, an older Goldwing could be one. A Bandit twelve fifty though would be a hell of a pusher for a sidecar rig. Oh yeah, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's got the juice. Or a Rocket three, or a Rocket three, or an ST. Mm-hmm. I think I like the ST idea a lot. I don't know why exactly I like about that, but I like it a lot. You just missed out on one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was really, quite honestly, kind of hoping he wouldn't sell it right away. You know, like he just wouldn't sell and it just sit in his garage and you'd take it out and take really good care of it and run mm-hmm. it every once in a while. And then oh, he would too. And then I just, I know. And then I'd just like scoop it up for a song in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Hey, Claire, I'd like to buy your bike. Uh, okay, here's bottom dollar. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if only it was that easy. Yep. Yep. Of course, oh. by then, STs will be dirt cheap. You read Web Bike World recently? No. They posted, like, a, a, a early, not an early, but, like, a preliminary review of the new Strom. Hmm. Not a fan. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm surprised. They didn't like uh, the, the uh, engine mapping. Really? And I guess it's a thing that the the ECM comes stock kind of shitty just so it meets regulations. Yeah. Yeah, that was standard on the on the 1000 before. Okay. I'm uh, I'm up 1.5 on my idle circuit on both cylinders. Okay. So I guess there's like a a, a remap you can get done at the dealer after you buy the bike. Hmm. To, For which they will no doubt charge you. Yeah, but you know, it being Suzuki. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it, he had a, a few things to say that he wasn't uh, a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, he said a lot of it felt kind of plastic and gimmicky, cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, that and, and the powers is what I remember him complaining mm-hmm. the most about. It's surprising, actually. He's going to take it back to the dealer mm-hmm. and uh, have them do the mapping and, and, and see. Because the power you'd expect to be a little better than the old Strom, because it's supposed to make its torque lower, mm-hmm. which is, you know, cool. Yeah. yeah he, Not he, that the bulb was hurting for torque particularly. He's, I, it's been a few days since I read it, but he's, he sounded kind of disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be interesting to see what he said. And, you know, he's not, um, the guy who wrote this isn't reviewing a press copy or something. He went out and bought one. Sure, yeah. So. Yeah. I'll be interested to hear more. I'm not going to be in the market anytime soon. Now that mine doesn't leak oil, I figure I will get another, you know, 50, 100,000 miles of good service and it mm-hmm. will eventually just disintegrate beneath me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't leave you behind when that happens. That's good. Mostly because you want lots of pictures and want to mock me about it <laughs> mercilessly <laughs> the entire way home. Hey, Todd, are you comfortable back there? Yeah. I, I, I hope I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> well, goodbye, Strom. <laughs> Can I light this tire on fire and mull it? My goal, quite honestly, for that bike is for it to be a complete embarrassment to my daughter. I'll give you a ride to school. On your old crappy bike? No way! That thing's embarrassing. It's horrible. We'll have to get a nurse sheepskin to cover the Russell. No. The Russell looks nice. This is wonderful. Even by then, it'll it'll look too nice. You'll need a sheepskin to cover it so it looks ratty. (laughs) It it looks pretty sat in already, but... We can make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see by the time she goes to school. Yeah. Sophie's asking to ride Euro all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I, took I bet. To her school. She wanted to ride it to Lagoon. I was just like, cool. That's a little far. <laughs> That's a long time for you to sit in that. No, no, no she might be okay. She might she's be. She's having I don't fun. Know. I mean, what, what, come on. She's, she's a kid. She's sitting in a freaking car seat. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's got to be boring. She she does a lot of She plays on the uh, iPhone in her yeah. car seat. Yeah. I'm not going to let her have my iPhone in the cycle. <laughs> it just seems like <laughs> a bad <laughs> idea. You mean it's going to be, it? it's not going to be like tonight when my uh, daughter shows up next to me buck naked to get in the bathtub. I'm putting water in the tub, testing the heat. And she goes, duh, and holds up what she's going to take into the tub with her and it's my wife's tablet. <laughs> She throws it in. Uh, I, I caught it first. Uh, Save the day. But, uh, yeah. I could see a similar kind of affair, you know. Yeah. I dropped it. Where? Back uh-huh. there. <laughs> she just waves in the distance. A while back. <laughs> yep. But still, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely jealous of you getting a ride with your daughter that way, and I cannot wait until my daughter can ride with me. That's fun. And I buy a fancy new sidecar to do it with. She cries if she can't ride in it. This kid is done. Yeah. This kid is done at an early age. <laughs> he's going to be 16. She's going to be like, Dad, Dad, can I can I get a motorcycle? I'll make sure she goes to your class. I'll slip you a 20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. You didn't pass this time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your dad. <laughs> you might pass next time. <laughs> You're getting better. <laughs> you're getting awfully better. Like, I would say you're like... $50, $70 better. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> you know, if I was going to score you with money, $120 better. You should tell your old man that. <laughs> Yeah, what have you learned, Todd? I've learned that I have an exciting new opportunity for profit in my future. <laughs> what have you learned? I've learned I'm going to have to nip this in the bud. <laughs> That's all we got time for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. If you listen to us on iTunes, please write a review for us so that we can get some more exposure and hits. Thanks. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.